Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The investigation into Damien Eccles began with the presumption by Steve Jones and James Sudbury that the murders of Stevie, Michael, and Christopher were a satanic ritual killing. The investigation into Eccles snowballed quickly as tips began to roll in, implicating him in the crime. After publishing this week's Friday follow-up, listener Shanna French provided a link to a newspaper article dated May 11th, the day after Narlene Hollingsworth's interview. In this article, we discover that the reward fund for tips leading to the conviction of the killer or killers had grown to $25,000. Within the first few days of the investigation, we have police officers interviewing Damien Eccles, Jason Baldwin, and Dominique Tier in Jason's front yard for everyone in the trailer park to see, and allegedly officers are passing around a picture of Eccles asking for tips. We also have a reward being advertised that likely exceeds the medium annual income for many people living in the trailer park. This was the climate surrounding the Lakeshore Estates trailer park when Narlene Hollingsworth first called in her tip. Our job is to break down the tip, interview, and trial testimony of Narlene in order to determine if her eyewitness account was a legitimate tip or if it was nothing more than an attempt to collect on the reward money. Let's begin by breaking down the strengths and weaknesses of Narlene's statement. In the strength corner, we have the fact that Narlene lists multiple people who can verify her eyewitness testimony. She tells Hester and Dabs on the 10th, that she was accompanied in her car by her husband Ricky, her son Little Ricky, and her daughters Tabitha and Mary. In her statement, she claims to be picking up Dixie Hufford at the laundromat when the sighting of Damien and Domini occurred. Dixie would then be another witness who may be able to back up her statement. Now, one of the weaker points in her statement is the fact that, if true, we have to believe that at 9.30 at night, on a school night, Narlene decided to pack up her entire family into their Ford Escort in order to just go pick up and drop off a friend. Per her statement, she loads five people into a five-seat car to go pick Dixie up. And while this certainly is not out of the question, it does tend to raise a few eyebrows. Furthermore, we have to consider the timing of the tip. 
If Narlene is calling this into police because she simply believes that a dirty Damien and Domini in the area of the crime scene is a legitimate concern, then why wait for three days after the bodies are found to call it in? She states that she knew the boys were missing at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. This we know to be impossible because they weren't reported missing until 8 p.m. that night. She also claims that she found out that they were found the next day. So she supposedly knows that the bodies were found in the Blue Beacon Woods on Thursday, and she had supposedly seen the dirty Damien and Domini walking near those woods the night before, when she supposedly knew the boys were missing. But she decides to sit on this information for three days. So what was the trigger to call in the tip on May the 9th? To answer that question, let's remember that on the same day, May 9th, Damien, Domini, and Jason were interviewed by police in her trailer park, outside, in the open, for everyone to see. And this was the third time Damien had been interviewed. So the scenario was this. Narlene hears that the three boys are missing. She then packs up her husband and three of her kids into her five-seat car on a school night at 9.30 p.m. to go pick up Dixie. She sees Damien and Domini walking down the service road near the crime scene, described as dirty and then later muddy. Then the next day, she discovers that the boys were murdered in the woods near where she had just seen Damien and Domini. She says nothing for three days. During those three days, the newspapers are advertising a reward fund for information on the crime that was already climbing in excess of $20,000. And then, on the day that Damien and Domini are being interviewed in Jason Baldwin's front yard, in her trailer park, she then calls the police and reports the sighting. Breaking down the timeline of the tip, we can speculate as to about three possible scenarios here. Number one, the timing is nothing more than a coincidence and has nothing to do with Narlene's decision to call the police. Or number two, Narlene did in fact witness the two that night, and seeing them interviewed by the police made her realize that they may be involved and that her tip may be relevant. Or number three, she was enticed by the reward money and made the entire story up out of whole cloth after realizing that Damien and Domini may already be suspects. Before we move on to corroborating statements, let's first review the nuts and bolts of Narlene's. According to her statement, she left the house to pick up Dixie at exactly 9.30 p.m. In the car with her are her husband Ricky and son Ricky Jr. and daughters Tabitha and Mary. As they're getting off the interstate, she sees her niece, Domini Tear and her boyfriend, Damien Eccles, walking west on the South Service Road. They are both wearing dark clothing and dirty. Domini is wearing black pants with white flowers on them. Narlene says that she then expresses concern about them being out so late at night to her husband, and she says that he tells her that it's not a big deal because he sees them all over the place at night. The family continues on to pick up Dixie, who tells Narlene that L.G. Hollingsworth had just left the laundromat in a car. Narlene says that she told Dixie about seeing the couple on the road, and that Dixie says that's strange because, quote, those boys are dead. Although, the bodies weren't discovered until the next afternoon. As a side note to follow up on last week's episode, in the anonymous tip called in on the 10th, 
it was stated that LG washed Damien and Dominie's clothes at the laundromat that night. This element of the tip, I think that we can definitely rule out, if Narlene's account is accurate. According to her, Damien and Dominie are walking away from the laundromat and still dirty at the time that LG was at the laundromat. And since the laundromat closed at 10 p.m., I think we can conclusively say that that part doesn't fit with Narlene's statement. However, the bones of the anonymous tip are all there. Dominie and Damien with dirty clothes and LG at the laundromat. Further evidence that the anonymous tipster was simply relaying a conversation that she overheard and maybe didn't get all the details right. After the initial tip and interview, respectively occurring on May 9th and 10th, Narlene returned to the police station to give the following written statement on May the 20th. On Wednesday night, 5-5-93, I got a phone call about 1 o'clock, and it was Dixie Hubbard, and she wanted me to take her to work. So I said okay, that I would, so I got her to work about 2.30. So she said, will you come back tonight and pick me up from work? And I said, what time? And she said, 10 o'clock. And I said, I will be here. So I left home about 9.30. I was going down the South Service Road, and I looked to the right, and I saw Damien and Dominique walking. They were dirty and muddy, got to the laundromat. Dixie said, LG just left. And I said, I just saw Damien. And she said, was Dominique with him? And I said, yes. So now from Narlene, we have her original tip, her recorded interview on May the 10th, and then her own written statement on May the 20th. So now let's start our attempt to corroborate Narlene's statement with her husband, Ricky Hollingsworth. Ricky was interviewed by Brian Ridge on December the 7th. This is Ricky's handwritten statement. I, Rick Hollingsworth, was in a 1982 Ford Escort station wagon with my ex-wife Narlene, Anthony, Tabitha, Mary, and little Ricky at between 9 and 10 p.m. We were going to get Dixie from where she works on Ingram. We were on the South Service Road between Blue Beacon and Love's Truck Stop when Narlene saw two people that she said were Damien and Dominique. I did see the two people, but I didn't look close enough to say who they were. But I did see that they had long hair. Narlene thought it was strange and asked if she ought to turn around to give them a ride. I told her no, that I had seen them walking all over the place and that they are always walking. Signed, Ricky Hollingsworth. So Ricky, for the most part, confirms Narlene's statement. He agrees the event took place on May 5th, the timing is correct, and most of the details line up. The only differences are the fact that Narlene said Ricky saw the couple, whereas Ricky says he could not actually identify them, but Ricky does confirm that they both had long hair. But a critical detail with Ricky's statement is the addition of Anthony Hollingsworth to the car. Anthony is Narlene's 21-year-old son. According to Ricky's statement, there are now six people in the five-seat car on their way to pick up a friend at 10 p.m. on a school night. Anthony Hollingsworth enters the scene on May 25th, five days after Narlene had been in to give her written statement and over two weeks after her initial interview. Now up to this point, Anthony hasn't been mentioned by Narlene at all. On May 25th, Anthony wrote out the following statement for Detective Dabbs. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Wednesday night, I was at my mom and dad's house when the phone rang at 9.15 p.m. And it was my grandmother. She asked us to come and get her from work. Then we walk out and get in mom's car. Anthony, Ricky, Tabitha, Mary, Narlene, Sandra, and little Ricky, and left to go pick up Dixie. We got on service road and were going east, just west of 7th Street. We saw Damien and Dominique, and they were on south side of service road. They were wearing black clothes that were muddy. It was about 9.30 p.m. We went to flash market and pick up Dixie and took her home, and then went back to our house and didn't see Damien and Dominie on the road back. Signed, Anthony Hollingsworth. Anthony now presents some problem for Narlene's credibility, or maybe for Anthony's credibility, depending on how you look at it. He does confirm Ricky's statement that he was indeed in the car with the rest of the family on that night, which unfortunately conflicts with Narlene's account of the night. But the situation becomes even more problematic with the addition of Sombra to the car. At the time of this event, Ricky Jr., or Little Ricky, was 14 years old and Sombra was his girlfriend. So now the story has evolved into Narlene packing up her entire family, as well as her 14-year-old son's girlfriend at 9.30pm on a school night to pick her friend up from work. And for any of you keeping count, we now have seven, count them, seven people in the five-passenger car on the way to pick up an eighth person. Next, let's move on to the written statement of 16-year-old Tabitha Hollingsworth. She wrote her statement on May the 20th. Wednesday, May 5, I seen Damien and Dominique coming back home as we was going to get my grandmother from work. They was very dirty and it was about 9.15 or 9.30 and mom seen them and I looked and that was them and they was wearing all black and Dominique had holes in her pants. They was very muddy. Signed, Tabitha Hollingsworth. Tabitha's statement does not include a lot of details but she does confirm Narlene's statement with the few details that she does give. Later, Tabitha testified at trial where she did address the number of people in the car that night. I want you to go back to uh, May the 5th. Do you remember going somewhere with your mom and some other your family members that night? Yes. All right. Where did y'all go? We was going to pick up my grandmother from work to take her home. All right. And where does she work? She works at a laundromat in West Memphis. In West Memphis? Okay. And how do you go to get to where your grandmother is? Where you go down by uh, Loves and Blue Beacon and all that. All right. You go on the interstate or the service road? <coughs> interstate. All right. And 
Um, who all was in the car with you? It was me, my dad, uh, my brother, my sister. We was all in the car. Okay. <laughs> Do you remember about what time this was? About 9.30. Okay. And on the way to get your grandmother, did you see somebody that you knew? Yeah. Who'd you see? I seen Damien and Dominique walking. All right. Who's Dominique? Dominique, too, lives out there where I do. All right. What does she look like? She's got red hair. It's long. Okay. And uh, that night, what was what was Damien wearing? He was wearing black pants and a black shirt. All right. And uh, what color clothes was uh, Dominique wearing? She was wearing some black pants that kind of like had flowers on. All right. And w- what about a shirt? Black. All right. And was there anything about her pants? Uh, what was the condition of the pants? What had it had holes above the knees? Okay. All right. And uh, what about the condition of the clothes of both of them? They they was kind of muddy. All right. And where did you see them? Uh, beside Blue Beacon. They was right before you get there. They was walking down the road. They was where now? They was, they was uh, right beside Blue Beacon. That's what they were. All right. And I don't have any further questions. All right, you may stand down. Any reason to keep her in attendance? Uh, no. You're free to go. At trial, Tabitha confirms Narlene's statement that there were only five people in the car that night, which conflicts with Anthony and Ricky's statements that Anthony and Sombra were also in the car. Anthony also testified at the trial and described in detail the seating arrangements in the car. Who did you say were in, was in that car? My whole family plus a girl. Okay, let, let's name them first. Who's your father? Ricky Hollingsworth. Ricky Hollingsworth. Okay, and who else? Narlene Hollingsworth. Narlene Hollingsworth. Tabitha Hollingsworth. Tabitha is that your sister? Yes, sir. Okay. Mary Hollingsworth. Now, who is Mary Hollingsworth? My other sister. And who else? Little Rick. Little Rick? That's my brother. So, Little Ricky Hollingsworth. And that's your brother. And who else? His girlfriend, Sombra. Girlfriend who? Sombra. I don't know her last name. Say your name again. Sombra. Sombra? Okay. And you all were going where again? Mm, to pick up my grandmother from work. And what time did she get off work? At 10.30. At 10.30? She gets think, off work. I think. I'm not sure. Well, what time were you all out there? What time did you go uh, down the service road? Sorry, that was a year ago. Okay, so you don't remember? Uh-huh. All I can just tell you is, is a little bit. Okay. So you don't remember what time you were going down there? Is that what you're telling this jury? No, I ain't telling the jury that. The okay. Guy, well, who, mean, who are you telling that? To you. Okay. Uh, you, I'm the one talking to you. Okay. Well, well tell me now, uh, do you remember what time it was? I'll say 1030. You say it's 1030. Okay. Now, what kind of vehicle was this? The red Ford Escort. A red Ford Escort? Yes, sir. 
say station wagon? Yes, sir. How many seats are in there? Uh, two and plus in the back. There's okay. two front seats, then you got a back seat, and then you got a uh, the back for like a spare or something. And that's where most of the kids are sitting in the back. Who are, when you say kids, who are you talking about as kids? Uh, Rick and Sombra and Mary. You're sure that you were on the service road, is that correct? <clears throat> yes, sir. Okay. Where were you seated? Uh, on the middle seat. I was sitting right next to my grandmother when she got in. So you were in the middle seat? Yes, sir. Who else was sitting there? Uh, it was me, Tabitha, and um, which my dad was sitting in the front with mom, which was Ricky. But when she got in, we made enough room for her so she could get in. Who was driving? Narlene. Is Narlene your mom? Yes, sir. So you were in the middle with all these people. You were in that middle seat. Which side? I was on passenger side where the door is. Is there not a door on both sides? Yes, sir. But I'm telling you, I was sitting on the right. Okay. Now, y'all have talked about this quite a bit around the house, haven't you? No, not that much one. Since since this happened last year, you all sat around and talked about this, hadn't you? Not that much. Just off and on. Very often. Did you go to the police statement and make a statement regarding yes, the uh, police day. station and make a statement regarding this? Yes, or next day. Next day. And um, these people that you say that you saw out there, uh, what was uh, Dominique wearing? She had black pants on with sort of a black shirt. The shirt was black, but the pants had white flowers on them. Pants had white flowers on them? Are you sure this is the people that were in there? In the yes. car? Yes, sir. When did you say that you went and talked with the police about this? The very next day. The very next day? And uh, did you talk to them any after that about this? Yes, sir. And uh, when you talked with them the next day, did uh, did you give them a uh, statement? No, sir. So did you write anything down that next day? No, sir. Did they write anything have you signed it that day? Yes, sir. The very next day? Yes, sir. Do you remember who you talked with? Gary Gitchell. Gary Gitchell. So the very next day, what day would that have been, the next day? Sir, I don't have the slightest idea. That's been a year ago. What day was it that you saw these people? May the 5th. Okay. So the very next day, May, would that have been May the 6th? I think so. Okay, so May the 6th, uh, you talked to Gary Gitchell about yes, this? Yes, sir. Okay. And gave him a statement. I ain't given the statement until May the seventh, I think. May the seventh. I think it was Friday. On a Friday. Did you talk with any officer any after that? No, sir. At this point, Anthony has provided conflicting testimony to everyone else's statements. Narlene's statements do not include Anthony being in the car. Tabitha's testimony doesn't include Anthony being in the car, and no one else's statements include little Ricky's girlfriend, Sombra, being in the car. Then things get further complicated as Anthony tells the jury that he spoke to the police and gave his statement, quote, the very next day 
after seeing Damien and Domini on the service road. The conflict being that Anthony didn't actually give a statement until 20 days after the event in question allegedly occurred. Nearly three weeks had passed. The trigger for the May 20th interviews seems to be a tip that was called in regarding Dixie Hufford, the woman that the Hollingsworth clan was picking up on the 5th. This is the tip called in by someone named Boone. Boone. Caller stated the woman that works at the laundromat on Ingram, her name is Dixie, Dixie told someone that two boys and a girl came into that laundromat about 10 to 10.30 p.m. on Wednesday to clean up. They had mud and blood on their clothes. Dixie is supposed to be related to one of them. Only name Boone knew was Hollingsworth. Following the receipt of this tip, Detective Brian Ridge and Chief Inspector Gary Gitchell paid Dixie a visit at her home to question her. Ridge prepared the following report after the interview. Myself and Inspector Gitchell interviewed Dixie Hufford at her residence. She reported that L.G. Hollingsworth came to the laundry where she works on 5593 in a small light-colored car and asked for Domini's phone number. This occurred about 9 to 9.30 p.m. Dixie stated that Narlene and Ricky Hollingsworth picked her up from work a few minutes before 10 p.m. that night and took her home. Dixie came to work later and Linda Hollingsworth came in asking about where LG had been during the evening on 5-5. When Dixie told her of him coming into the laundry in the small car, she asked if she was sure that it wasn't Richard Simpson's car. Dixie stated that she knew Richard's car and that it was not his. Dixie stated that she feels Damien does control Domini and that she is fearful for her. Dixie stated that she believed Domini was at home sick that day and Domini's mom was home. Dixie stated that she does not like Damien and that Jack Eccles is his stepfather and Joe Hutchinson is Damien's real father. Dixie knows Jason Baldwin and knows that Damien and Jason are very close friends. Dixie feels that Domini's mom knows something but won't tell because of her fear for Domini. Dixie stated that we need to talk to Linda Hollingsworth, but for us to know that she believes she will lie to protect LG. Dixie believed that LG had on a white shirt and tie that night that he came to the laundry. Signed, Brian Ridge. Now there's a lot to that report and we'll get into more of it next week. Today, however, we're focusing on corroborating Narlene's report of seeing Damien and Domini on the service road on that night. The first glaring issue is the fact that Dixie only names Narlene and Ricky as picking her up. There's no mention of a car full of kids sitting on laps and cramming into the back of a station wagon. As a matter of fact, Dixie also makes no mention at all of the Damien and Domini sighting. Which is interesting because according to Narlene, she and Dixie discussed the sighting and Dixie was concerned. In this report, however, Dixie's focus seems to be on LG's movements that night, not Damien or Domini's. Since a large part of our investigation involves investigating allegations that the West Memphis Police Department may have bent the rules, so to speak, in order to build a stronger case against Damien, let's take a look at Detective Brian Ridge's handwritten notes from the interview and see what he chose to leave out of his report. Right after the break... 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The full set of Detective Bridges' handwritten notes from this interview are available on our website as well as on Callahan's. For brevity's sake, I want to point out just three things that Ridge found important enough to write in his notes, but not so much as to include these items in his written report. First, we have another appearance by our, quote, invisible man. Ridge's notes read, quote, heard from Steve Jones and Jerry Driver about devil worshiping. There's also a picture of a pentagram drawn on the notes, followed by, quote, each has one, Murray, Chris, Damien. Now, there may be little to no significance to these notes, but I believe it's important to track these interjections of the man who was left out of the trial. We do know for a fact that Damien was first targeted due to Jones's assumption that the killings were satanic sacrifice. We also know that Jones was present with James Sudbury on the day after the bodies were found to interview Damien for the first time. Damien has also made claims that Jones was passing around a Polaroid picture of him presenting him as a suspect. And here we have Dixie Hufford stating right smack dab in the middle of dishing dirt on Damien to Ridge and Gitchell, stating that Steve Jones and Jerry Driver told her about devil worshipping. But none of that information found its way into Ridge's report. More importantly than the invisible man's entrance and then subsequent exit from Dixie's statement is another line that Ridge evidently didn't find relevant. Quote, Narlene and Ricky came down just after that. Narlene picked up from work almost 10 p.m. that night. Narlene said that she saw boys at 5.30 that night. Will exaggerate. End quote. As a whole, Dixie's statement, at best, does not corroborate Narlene's or any of the other Hollingsworth clans for that matter. She only mentions Narlene and Ricky picking her up. There's no mention of any kids tagging along. She says that Narlene mentions seeing Stevie, Michael, and Christopher that day at 5.30, but makes no mention of the Damien and Domini sighting. And she ends her conversation with the detectives about Narlene Hollingsworth by saying, quote, will exaggerate. To summarize the credibility of Narling Hollingsworth's statements about seeing Damien and Domini on the service road that night, up to this point we have five different people on the record in attempting to corroborate who have given five different versions of the story. Narlene and Tabitha say there were five people in the car, plus Dixie. 
Ricky says there were six, Anthony says there were seven, and Dixie says there were two, and rather than corroborate Narlene's account, she simply states that Narlene will exaggerate, which Detective Ridge conveniently chose to leave out of his report. At this point, it's only fair to get the accused side of the story. We already know that Damien has told police that on the afternoon of May 5th, he and Domini walked with Jason Baldwin to watch him mow his uncle's yard. Damien says that he was then picked up by his parents, who dropped Domini off at home. The family stopped by some friend's house, and then he spent the rest of the evening at home. In Sudbury's May 9th report, he says that he spoke to Damien's parents, who verified that Damien was indeed home with them the entire evening. The report says that Damien was interviewed without his parents present in his own bedroom, which would tend to indicate that they independently verified his whereabouts, which, according to them, was not walking down the service road at 9.30 p.m. with Domini. According to Damien and his family, Domini had been dropped off at home, and Damien was home with his parents at the time Narlene says that they were walking down the service road. So let's find out what Domini has to say about the day and night in question. Domini was interviewed on May 9th by West Memphis police officer Shane Griffin. His report reads as follows. Interviewed Domini Tier was 10th grade student at Marion, but mother took her out of school due to her being four months pregnant with Damien Eccles' child. Stated that on 5-5, she, Damien, and Jason Baldwin were at Jason's uncle's house somewhere around Dover Road, mowing the lawn in the early afternoon. She then stated that she got home around 6 p.m. and was there the rest of the night. In parentheses, it says, verified by mother. Has her initials tattooed on the inside of her left leg, just above her ankle, and a teardrop above the web of her left hand between thumb and forefinger. Have Polaroid of her. Signed, Shane Griffin. Here we have Domini telling Officer Griffin that she was home around 6 p.m. after going to Jason's uncle's house where he mowed the lawn. The report also reads that the fact that she returned home at 6 and was there for the rest of the night was also confirmed by her mother. Domini was brought in for questioning again the next day, on May the 10th. This is Detective Brian Ridge's report on that interview. On this date, I interviewed Dominique Tier in my office at the West Memphis Police Department. Present during the interview was Mary Margaret Kesterson of the Arkansas State Police. Dominique claimed that on Wednesday, 5-5, that she went with Damien, Jason, and Ken to Jason's uncle's house to watch Jason mow the yard. Dominique and Damien went to the laundry where they called for Damien's mother to pick them up. Dominique stated that the time was about dark or just before dark. Domini stated that she was dropped off at her house and Damien went home. Domini stated that she called Damien and that he told her he was tired and was going to sleep. Domini's mother stated the time Domini came in when Time Tracks was on TV Wednesday evening. Domini stated that on Thursday, she and Damien had an argument and took out stress on each other. Domini claimed that the conflict was due to Jason Baldwin and his girlfriend. Signed, Brian Ridge. Again, Domini says that Damien's mom dropped her off after leaving Jason's uncle's house. We also have the addition here of someone named Ken. And again, Domini's mother verifies the fact that she was home on the night of the 5th and not walking down the service road with Damien. 
months after Damien's arrest, Dominie's mother was interviewed again, this time by prosecutor John Fogelman. In this recorded interview, Diane Teer tells Fogelman that on May 5th, Damien, Jason Baldwin, and a boy named Ken came by her house in the afternoon. All four teenagers left together to go watch Jason mow his uncle's yard. She again confirms that Dominie was dropped back off afterward and was home the rest of the night. When we break down and compare the conflicting sides of this argument, we find that the Hollingsworth clan cannot seem to all get onto the same page. All of their stories conflict with one another, and Dixie Hufford does not confirm that the sighting occurred and goes so far as to tell the police that Narlene will exaggerate. On the other side of the coin, before Damien or Dominie knew that Narlene would make this claim, they both told police that they were together in the afternoon and that Damien's parents dropped Dominie off at home where she remained throughout the evening. Damien told police that he and his parents stopped at some friend's house and then returned home where he remained for the rest of the night. Both Damien and Dominie's parents confirmed both of these statements before Narlene Hollingsworth gave her statement to the West Memphis PD. So the question becomes, why does all of this matter? Well, it matters because the Hollingsworth clan's alleged sighting of Damien and Dominie near the crime scene with muddy clothes on the night of the murders was used at trial to help convict Damien and Jason Baldwin. Those of you familiar with the case know that Dominie was never part of the prosecution's narrative, so you're probably asking why would this be relevant? The answer is that even though Dominie was related to the Hollingsworths, and the fact that she was supposedly positively identified by the family and described as wearing pants with flowers on them, the prosecution attempted to put a spin on the sighting. This from the trial during Narlene's testimony. This is Narlene describing Dominie's clothes that night. Fogelman. All right, and do you recall what kind of clothes they were wearing? Hollingsworth. Yes, sir. All right, tell us about that. Damien had on a pair of black pants and a dark shirt. Dominie had a pair of tight pants, you know, fit tight. And she had flowers, looked like white flowers to me on her pants. Fogelman, all right. Hollingsworth, which I know were her clothes because two or three days before that, I saw her with those same clothes on. And then we have this bench conference where the defense is attempting to get the judge to disallow the prosecution from making the claim that the Hollingsworths actually saw Jason with Damien and not Dominie. Attorney Ford. Your Honor, we're asking for that instruction. The witness identified Damien and Dominie at the roadside. There is no testimony whatsoever from either side, from either of these last two witnesses, that Jason was there and the you know good and well what the state's going to argue, that she's wrong and that she is really seeing Jason, and that's speculation. That's Judge Burnett. I don't know. I'm just saying that Ford, just junk. What you're doing, Judge, is you're allowing them to do that. When this witness says no, it's Dominie, and we're asking that you give instructions that this applies only to Damien since Jason has not been mentioned. Judge Burnett. Well, do you have other evidence that's going to suggest Jason could have been there and that she was mistaken? Fogelman. Your Honor, we're going to have other evidence that Jason had shoulder-length hair, that he was 5'8", weighed about 112 pounds at the time. Ford. Your Honor, that, that is, they're trying to say that that's crazy, Your Honor. That's crazy. That's crazy doing Judge Burnett. All right, I'm not sure if it's crazy. I'm, I mean, it may be a reasonable inference that they could draw from her testimony. If I gave an instruction they couldn't consider it, then the first thing you're going to do is say, well, look, the judge told you not to consider it, so they can't make that argument. 
Ford, that's exactly right, because they shouldn't be allowed to make that argument. Judge Burnett, I'm not going to do it. I, I'll give this one little generic instruction sometime during the day that they're reminded that they should consider the evidence as individual. Ford, why ask for it when this witness gets done? Burnett, I'm not going to do it on this witness, not with the my understanding that they're going to argue it that she's mistaken on. Ford, will your honor, Burnett, and have other evidence. Ford, so so the reason you're so the reason you're denying my motion is because you're going to allow the state to make an argument that this witness is wrong. You're going to allow them to make that argument to the jury and as a proffer argument. Judge Burnett, sure. So Judge Burnett allowed the prosecution to present evidence that all of the Hollingsworth were in fact right about seeing the couple on the side of the road, but wrong about identifying their own family member. At this point in the trial, Narlene's son, Anthony, had just testified that he was in the car along with the entire family, as well as little Ricky's girlfriend, Sombra. Then Narlene was asked who all was in the car from the trial. Okay, and who was with you then? Hollingsworth, all my children. All of them? All of them except Anthony. He was, he wasn't with me then. Okay, does Anthony live with you? Yes, he lives on my land. On your land? Yes, sir. He live out in the yard? Well, he, I wouldn't say that. He lives, he lives in a camper. Okay. He eats with me, but he stays in the camper. He has to. He has to? Yes. Why does he have to? Fogelman objects. Your Honor, I... And then Narlene interjects. Sir, I don't really want to answer that. So here Narlene specifically excludes Anthony from being in the car with the rest of the family, and there's no mention of Sombra. And as a side note, it seems that Anthony wasn't allowed to live in the trailer with the rest of the family due to some sort of sexual assault involving one of his sisters. But Narlene does come to his defense, much to the chagrin of the audience in the courtroom. From the transcript, Judge Burnett, I'm having a little bit of trouble following your your line of thought as far as uh, is relevant. Narlene, well, he didn't kill nobody. Burnett, wait just a minute, don't. The transcript reads, courtroom laughter. Hollingsworth, I just wanted you to know that. As her testimony continues, Fogelman comes back to the number of people in the car. Remember, Anthony had just testified that he and Sombra were in the car, and then Narlene just specifically excluded him from being with and makes no mention of Sombra. From the transcript, after Narlene had said that all of her kids except Anthony were with her. Fogelman, how many is that? Narlene, well, it's Marty, Ricky, Tabitha, Anthony, and my ex-husband, which was my husband at that time. He was with us. All right, and how old were the children? Narlene. And I had a little girl named Sombra with me. Now everyone is on the same page. Or at least Narlene and Anthony are now. That testimony still conflicts with Tabitha's testimony, Ricky Sr.'s statement, and Dixie's statement. However, the jury luckily never heard from Ricky or Dixie. At trial, Narlene not only added to the number of people in the car as she went along, but she also added some details to the story never heard before. 
For example, in her statement, she said that her husband told her not to worry because he sees the two out all over the place at night all the time. At trial, she says that she wanted to pick them up, but Ricky was concerned about space. From the transcript. All right, why why were you why did you want to see if it was them? Narlene, because I didn't realize there for a second how many I really had in the car with me and it was getting late and Dominie was only 14. So I wanted to give them a ride back home. See, I knew I had a few minutes to get to the laundromat. Fogelman, but you didn't have any room? Hollingsworth, no, I looked back and my ex-husband said, where are you going to put them? I said, well, I put Mary in Dominie's lap. And I looked over, he said, where are you going to put the other one, in Damien's lap? And I looked at Damien and said, no, I don't think so. So here the plan is to put kids on laps with no mention of anyone riding in the back. It's also important to note from other parts of the transcript you're going to hear that Narlene does seem concerned about kids not wearing seatbelts and getting a ticket. She further adds to the story at trial that she inexplicably got sick as she passed the crime scene. From the transcript. Okay, and did, was there another reason you felt like you ought to stop? Yes, sir. And what was that reason? I was getting sick. Why were you getting sick? I don't know. You don't know? No, sir. I just started feeling like all of a sudden I wanted to throw up. Felt like you wanted to throw up. Yes, sir. And is that when you passed them? Yes, sir. I passed them and got down the street and tried to stop where I could throw up. And you stopped to throw up? I stopped for a second and then went on because they all kept hollering. The kids kept hollering, let's go on, let's go, you can get sick when we get there. Again, courtroom laughter. Okay, did you actually stop? Were you driving? I was driving. I slowed down a little bit. Narlene's inconsistencies didn't stop with her sighting of Damien and Dominie. Remember that she also reported to the police that she had seen the boys riding their bicycles near their homes on May the 5th. In her statement to police, she said that she had dropped off LG at home and couldn't really describe the boys other than one heavyset kid with darker hair and green shorts. She didn't know about the other two. At trial, however, little Ricky's girlfriend, Sombra, re-enters the scene again. From the transcript, here Narlene is recalling the sighting of the boys and joking about how she could never forget the incident because her daughter Tabitha and nephew LG were in the car with her. Quote, And when you got Tabitha and LG in the car with you at the same time, you don't forget that either. Courtroom still laughing. Davidson, you don't forget it with Tabitha and LG being with you? Narlene, oh no, you can't forget that day. Anyway, uh, when I was going down that road, the little boy just whipped right out in front of me. He was in a big hurry to get somewhere, and the other little boy on the other bicycle was a little blonde-headed boy, with his hair sticking up. And Sombra raised up in the seat, in the back seat, and said, Oh, I know them. I said, You don't know them. They live over here, and we way over there. Now sit down before you get me a ticket and put your seatbelt on. She said, No, I really do. That's Steve Branch. I play with him every day. All the time I see him. My mama knows him. I said, well, sit down right now and let's let's get home, I said. I done had a rough day and I'm ready to go home. Narlene did indeed have a rough day on the 5th. While supposedly taxiing LG around that day, she got into a car accident around lunchtime with LG in the car. Now, the car accident is confirmed, but her next statement is not. Here she is describing the events of the day that she spotted all three boys, and then later, Damien and Dominie. Fogelman, 
Okay, and um, how did... Why did y'all go pick her up? How did you come to pick her up? Well, see, we spent most of our day together, Dixie and I, and we had lunch together, and she asked me that day would I come back and pick her up. That's interesting, because at lunch, she was supposedly with LG when they got into the accident. And moving right along, Narlene was further connected to the case because she actually wrote a letter to the third defendant in this case, Jesse Miss Kelly's attorney. She told Miss Kelly's father and the defense attorneys that she had actually seen Jesse at the Highland Trailer Park on the evening of the murders at 6.30 p.m. Listen to how this story develops at trial. Davidson, and when you were over here at Highland Trailer Park, um, did you witness, uh, are you there? Were there a group of people there? No, sir. Did you see Jesse Miss Kelly that day? No, sir, not that day. I saw him Thursday. Thursday? Yes, sir. I was thinking for a little while that I saw him on Wednesday, but I remembered I went back over there on Thursday, and it was Thursday when I saw him, and I hollered at him three times before he turned around and answered me. I said, Jesse, are you mad at me? He said, no, ma'am, I could never be mad at you. So she has now realized that back in the summer, she was certain that she saw Jesse at the trailer park on Wednesday evening, but now in March of the next year, she has realized that she was mistaken. It was actually the next day. Here she acknowledged that she had originally thought that she saw Jesse on Wednesday. Davidson, with your, okay, now you've told us that you said earlier that you saw him on that day. Yes, sir, I was thinking it was Wednesday, but it was Thursday. So now this is settled, and Narlene now knows that the conversation with Miss Kelly happened on Thursday and not Wednesday. She then goes on to describe her activities on Wednesday, explaining to the court how she knows that it was in fact May 5th when she saw Damien and Domini. And she manages to confuse everyone again, from the transcript. Davidson, when did you find out that the boys were missing? I found out when I was, as soon as I got home, about, let's see... I went, put LG at home, Uh, Sheila Joy came over there, I don't remember if I had already been to Highland or came back from Highland when she told me the boys were missing. Okay, and uh, so what would that have been? Uh, Well, it would have been around 6.30. Around 6.30. Now, okay, what was her name one more time? Sheila Joy. Joy, okay, now uh, I asked you earlier uh, about being a Highland trailer park, and you said, well, maybe it wasn't the 5th, maybe it was the 6th. You recall that? Do you recall writing a letter to Jesse Miss Kelly Sr.? Yes, I did. And could you tell us what you told him in that letter? Yes, sir. I told him that I had saw Jesse that Wednesday evening at 6.30, a quarter to 7. Something around that time, because it only takes me about 10 minutes to get from my house. But I was wrong. And because I had went over there Thursday. Now, when did you write this letter, do you know? No, sir, I don't remember the date. Did you send it to him or did you take it to him? Do you remember what happened? I went over there and talked to him. Okay, do you recall about when this was? What month of the year it was? When did you decide that maybe this wasn't the truth? After I thought about each day, what I did on those days, and I realized, and the children refreshed my memory too, saying, Mother, that was Thursday we saw him. Davidson. Okay. Well, I'm sure that we're all glad that that is now cleared up for us. Also, let's not miss the details about being told by Sheila that the boys were missing an hour and a half before they were reported missing. At this point, I believe that we have completed our investigation into Narlene Hollingsworth's claim that she saw Damien Eccles and Dominique Tear walking down the service road with muddy clothing. 
You've heard all points and counterpoints, and I'm really looking forward to hearing what you all think about this in this week's Friday follow-up. But our discussion into the Hollingsworth clan is far from over. We have yet to address the third party in the original anonymous tip, Mr. L.G. Hollingsworth. Next week on Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice is a production of NBI Studios. Michael Bussing is our executive producer and Shane Yoder is our sound engineer. All music for the show was created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website. Thank you to our transcription team, Sarah Mueller, Anna Dindor, Britta Bliss, and Stephanie McConnell. Make sure you keep in touch with us through email or social media or even through our tip line at 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.